0: The following podcast contains explicit language. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Slate's Trump Care Tracker, where we talk about Mitch McConnell and the Republican Party's excellent adventures in trying to take health care away from millions and millions of Americans. I'm Jordan Weissman, Slate's economics and policy correspondent. And I'm Jim Newell. I cover Congress for Slate. And yesterday was the moment we'd all been waiting for. Senate Republicans finally released their draft legislation, their draft Obamacare repeal bill. And all pandemonium seemed to break loose yesterday on the Hill. Uh, Jim, do you want to talk about what it was like just to be there during that shit show?
1: Yeah, I think a shit show is apt. You have all the Republican senators meet 930 in the morning in the in the Mansfield room in the Capitol. And so then you have about 100 reporters who have been trying to cover health care for the last month and a half, wondering what they're doing, staking that meeting out and trying to just get any little bit of gossip. So finally, when someone would emerge from the room after the meeting, I think the first one out was actually Lisa Murkowski, whose vote is sort of in question. She came out and people just, it was like a pack hunt, just everyone just sang on her. Before she gets in the elevator, she says something very vague, like, well, we have a lot of information to process or we have a lot to digest. And you know, that everyone's like on their phone with their editor, like Murkowski says there's a lot of information to digest. Like get it out quickly.
0: I'm imagining a bunch of people with like fedoras like tapping exactly. that into like, you know, the yeah. telegraph machine. Oh yeah. get says. the wires. <laughs>
1: um, and you have like Bob Corker, who is maybe, you know, five, seven, and you see him come out and a few reporters come, and then he stops, and once they stop, they're finished. And then you have, you know, six rows deep of reporters, and it looks like suddenly reporters are just like over bob corker and it's like they're being devoured in the walking dead or something they're not saying much of anything at least in those scrums they're just saying like well it's got some good things and some things that may need some work but we're gonna read through it and obamacare is bad and then, yeah again then just like hustle it to the wires so it was sort of a mess i mean if they had actually done this through open hearings or whatever they wouldn't have had all of this you know These huge hordes just trying to get any little kernel of information. So that's why I don't really feel sorry for them when they're devoured like this.
0: Yesterday was like the big explosion. People are finally paying attention to this bill after weeks of the media, mostly not uh, mostly ignoring uh, Mitch McConnell's secretive deliberations and secretive negotiation process. We finally got to see it. I'm curious, is there anything super surprising to you in the bill?
1: No, I think the, uh, the main structure of the bill was sort of what, you know, the few leaks that had come out. I think those numbers were pretty much in the bill. I mean, one thing that surprised me was some of the senators from states with big opioid problems, they were hoping to get $45 billion over 10 years in grants. And they got $2 billion for one year. So that was a little surprising that that had just been pretty much excised from the bill entirely. I don't know. What about you? You know there were a few things about it that surprised me, but I think right. I, you know we should talk just a little bit about just,
0: you know, what's in there. And I think in the end as as we kind of talked about in previous episodes, this is a bill that keeps a lot of Obamacare's structure in place for the individual market, but makes things like the subsidies much less generous, so people will end up buying crappier insurance. And then the other half of the bill is just a gigantic cut to Medicaid. I mean, they are in fact going above and beyond what the House uh, suggested when it comes to slashing Medicaid's long-term growth. It would be a historic setback for the American safety net. It's kind of breathtaking that this has come out of the Senate, which was supposed to be the bastion of moderates. And it's where you had all these Medicaid expansion state senators saying, oh, we're going to try and, you know, we're not going to pull the rug out from under people. We're going to try and protect this as much as we can. And instead, it looks like they have essentially legislated Paul Ryan's dream. They have produced a bill when it comes to Medicaid that is more in line with what Paul Ryan originally wanted than what Paul Ryan got.
1: You know, if you zoom out, like after seven years of saying we're going to repeal and replace Obamacare, what is the end product of that? It's cuts to the individual market side, pretty much the entire elimination of the Medicaid expansion, and then this separate reform of regular Medicaid, the Medicaid that was there before, which is, it's more of an assault almost on the Great Society programs than it is on the Affordable Care Act, when you look at it in the long view. Absolutely. The way I've been thinking about it is what they are going
0: to do to Medicaid is Similar, though, not exactly the same as what they did to 1990s welfare. You know, welfare reform took the cash welfare program and they capped its budget and then they said it actually wasn't going to grow for inflation. And then they kind of gave states the ability to do whatever they wanted with the money. I mean, this is vastly simplifying, but that's really the bluntest version of it. And over time, because it wasn't set to grow with inflation, the value of that funding just Evaporated. You know, it, it couldn't keep up with costs anymore. What they are doing with Medicaid is capping its budget. They are setting it to growth inflation, but much more slowly than the actual cost of maintaining the current level of care would require. I've talked to kind of healthcare wonks who are looking at the bill and the way the various waivers for states are structured. It is conceivable that states could find a way to actually take Medicaid's funding and use it for other health care related purposes, say, on their individual markets, actually move Medicaid's funding up to higher income individuals. It's not absolutely clear they can do that, but the possibility is out there. So, you know, the way this bill is structured, it really could lead to Medicaid withering on the vine in all states, but especially in states that would like to do something else with that cash.
1: Um, or at least that's my worst case scenario coming out of it. It's the same thing that Paul Ryan wants to do with Medicare, where you give everyone a voucher to buy private insurance and they don't grow in line with medical costs over the long term. So Medicare withers on the vine. That's what he's doing to Medicaid right now. And that's the Senate has gone along with it. The House bill would have increased uh,
0: Medicaid's budget faster over the long term than the Senate bill would. I want to turn also to the individual side because there were things about that surprised me a little bit. Again, the Senate is largely keeping Obamacare's subsidy structure in place. They are using income-based tax credits. Um, they're also attached to age as opposed to geography in Obamacare, but you know, they are going to protect poor people from having to pay half their income to buy insurance, which is good theoretically. But they are also designed essentially to buy less generous insurance so that deductibles will be much higher. So the insurance that someone at, you know, 100% of the poverty line or 110% of the poverty line, they may not even be able to use it because of deductibles and co-pays, etc. However, the thing that struck me is that there really aren't any winners from the set of changes. It's just a straight cut to Obama's subsidies, whereas the House bill kind of changed things so that more middle-income people would get subsidies for the first time. Poor people maybe got less than they would have before, but someone who is above 400% of the poverty line, which was where Obamacare's tax credits cut off, would be eligible to get some kind of help from the government. So at least there was something in it. For somebody, <laughs> you know, someone, there was some obvious beneficiary. Whereas what the Senate is doing is just more like a straight cut. That took me back a little bit.
1: Yeah, it's just, I think that sums up some of these individual market changes. You look at it, you know, Obamacare, you get somebody who's up to 400% of the poverty line. Here's 350. I just kept thinking about that number all day, like, why 350? You know, what is the, the policy idea here to move it from 400 to 350? You know, who does this please? It doesn't please any Democrats. It doesn't please pretty much any Republicans. What is the point of this? So maybe, you know, this does keep some of Obamacare's, you know, the basic structure on the individual side together. But it just is sort of aimless in what it's trying to achieve.
0: Yeah. And it, and politically, it's strange, too, because some of the, you know, fiercest critics of Obamacare were middle class people who did not get subsidies, were people who got kind of left out in the cold and saw their premiums rise and could not afford uh, the health care that they wanted because they were not getting the help from the government.
1: Right. It was that, 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 that cliff, that subsidy cliff. I mean, Democrats earlier in the year, when you ask them what their ideas for repair were, one of their ideas was increasing it to 500% of the federal poverty line. You, as you said, in the House bill, it, you get subsidies up to $75,000 a year, and that phases out. Here you have, I mean, what's 350% of the federal poverty line? Like $40,000, something like that?
0: So I'm looking at a chart right now. It's somewhere between $35,000 and $47,000 a year. And this is for a single person. Point being, this is not a ton of money. This is this is a middle class income and now it's cutting off, you know, a little bit lower on the middle class. And and that's all they seem to have accomplished. It's not clear why someone who is, you know, making $47,000 is so much less entitled to insurance than someone making $35,000.
1: Right. And you don't also, I guess they would say, well, you don't have the individual mandate anymore. And that, that was actually something that was a little surprising. They don't have any incentive for healthy people to buy insurance in this bill. The House bill had that continuous coverage provision where if you didn't have continuous coverage and you tried to get back on insurance markets, you would pay a little surcharge if you wanted to get back in. Now, there was a lot of criticism that maybe that actually wasn't a good incentive and it actually made the problem worse. But there is none of that in this bill. Yeah, there's absolutely
0: no attempt to get people to buy insurance. And so I do wonder how stable a market this would create. I I do wonder what the CBO will think of this, if it will say you're going to plant a bomb in the insurance markets. The one reason I think that might not happen is because the bill does provide money for these state stabilization funds, and the CBO seems pretty confident that's going to keep everything from melting down. Who knows in real life? In the end, though, it is a strange bill, and it doesn't really seem to please anyone. And yet... I think it seems like it's in a pretty good place. Conservatives are complaining about it. people are are voicing doubts, but I don't know. It seems like it's got some momentum what do you where Where do you think this thing stands right now?
1: Yeah, it was yesterday when I was on the hill, and suddenly word got around that a few conservative senators who ended up being Rand Paul, Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, and Ron Johnson were going to say they couldn't vote for it in its current form or that they need you know it needed some work and when that happened, you know my eyes sort of just glazed over. And I was like, this is so going to pass. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it may not, but yeah. I, it's just this is exactly what happened in the House.
0: These are not the four horsemen of Trump Cares Apocalypse. These are the guys who will put on a show about their conservative ideals and extract some concessions.
1: Yeah, the bill's out in public now. Everyone can see it. So they're going to take the things that they were trying to get in private, take it to the public, see what they can get, and then they'll probably vote for it. I mean, Rand Paul may not. Rand Paul is sort of really out there right now. I was asking him yesterday, like, what are your big problems? like, well, we spend all this money. And it's like, well, I think they're still going to spend money in the bill, you know, even if you get more concessions. So.
0: I love Rand Paul because he's so honest about his opinions, no matter how, like, unsubtle or unnuanced or unthought out they really are. He, he's just like, what you see is what you get. And he's really the only one in the Senate who seems to be like that. Johnson, Cruz and, and Lee, it seems like they're more sort of posturing to maybe set up some drama or something. Or, I mean, was there anything from the moderates? Was there a peep that was worth paying attention to? You said Murkowski kind of just shuffled off into an elevator and, and left. I mean, is there any chance that they're going to try and actually get in this thing's way, you think?
1: You know, I'm not sure they just they don't have the same style, which is sort of why they lose a <laughs> lot. You know, it was sort of funny, you know, this bill comes out. And within half an hour of this bill coming out, Ted Cruz was already distributing like his path to yes, and what policy changes he wanted. They were prepared for this and prepared to make a public statement and negotiate a little bit. Now, maybe moderates, you know, their, their preference is to do this by themselves behind closed doors a little bit. But I just figure they're gonna, you know, maybe make a few carve-outs to get them, maybe put some more money into one fund or another, and then they'll, they'll figure out, okay, which moderate senator do we let not have to vote for this? And it it just sort of feels like it's falling into the place the, the same way that the House bill did. Conservatives are probably going to move the bill to the right a little bit. Moderates will get some sort of special handout or something like that, and then they'll find a way to get 50 votes because you, know, you just have to think about this as do they really, after five months of working on this and writing a bill, are they just going to drop it? And it, that doesn't really smell right to me. I don't know. It may take a little bit longer than next week, but I, I still feel like you know they have it in a pretty good place right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's just fascinating because like the, the moderates just aren't even really putting out demands at this point. It, it's quiet from their side. They've they've already sort of been browbeaten or something. I don't know. So there, there is like one other dimension to all this that I'm a little curious about how it's going to play out, which is that a lot of people in the House, when they voted for their own bill, said, you know, I'm basically casting my vote to keep this process moving. I think that it's going to change a lot in the Senate. Who knows what we get back? Maybe it'll be a better bill. And it hasn't changed a lot in the Senate. We're talking about differences, but they they are mostly of the cutting Medicaid more severely variety. So. How do you think people in the House who are hoping that somehow Mitch McConnell would come up with something better are viewing this right now?
1: You know, I I do think that this Senate bill is being drafted with one eye in mind being we should get something that can pass through the House as is. So obviously making the Medicaid cuts more severe in the out years is something that they're hoping, well, we can give this. And when it goes back to the House, the Freedom Caucus will be fine with it. They want to get this over with. They want to pass this bill in the Senate and then maybe have a week or so of debate in the House and just get it done with so they can move on to the budget, to tax reform, to the debt ceiling, to everything else they have to do. So I don't think they're going to have a long, drawn-out conference committee process that goes until you know the fall or even the winter.
0: Interesting. We've already previewed this a little bit, but this is the part of the show we like to call, is this shit really happening?
1: Sorry for blowing that already. We we still have to say what
0: we would wager. So Jim, I think we know that you think this is going to happen, that this thing will be passed into law. What are you willing to bet? How confident are you in that prediction though?
1: So I, I say I'm probably the most confident I've been on any of our podcasts, but I wouldn't fully commit to it, but I'm willing to bet a Six-year-old backup computer. It does need a new battery, but I am willing to give a uh, yeah an old piece of metal out there, basically, <laughs> betting that this bill passes. I, too, think that this is going to pass into law, sad as that
0: may be. And I'm confident enough, you know, I'm just going to go on a whim. I'd bet my, my mattress. I just got a new mattress. I like it. I'd bet it. You're gonna bet the the new mattress, not the old mattress you're getting rid of. I already got rid of the old mattress. Um anyway, on that note, that's it for Trump Care Tracker, this very fatalistic episode of Trump Care Tracker. Thank you for joining us today. We'll be back Monday to talk more about what's going on with the healthcare bill. Our producer on the show is June Thomas. If you have questions or comments, please, please, please email us at Trumpcaretracker at slate.com. Again, Trumpcaretracker at slate.com. Please, if you like the show, give us a review at the iTunes store. Uh, That would be a big, big, big help. With that, Jim, thanks for chatting.
1: Good to talk on this sad day. Later, man. Bye.